Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. I love being here. I love having you. All right. So, uh, now that we've buttered each other's ass uh, up enough, um, we are going to be talking, uh, I guess they're not quite cryptid, but uh, about aliens. Uh, yes, I think that's the idea. Yes. Uh, specifically, uh, invading space aliens, um, their true nature, and how we are going to defend ourselves from that. And then from there, uh, we might just completely spin out of control and talk about whatever. That sounds good um, to me, boss. All right. So, uh, first question. Um, why is it that uh, aliens uh, have an anal fixation? That is an excellent question. And I think the most suitable answer would be that it probably, almost certainly, has more to do with something deep in the human psyche than it does aliens themselves. Right. You know, to expand on that thought a little bit, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever why an extraterrestrial or an ultra-terrestrial would fixate on a human's asshole as much as another human would on a regular basis. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if they are some super advanced space-faring species, then they will have almost certainly encountered the existence of cloaca, you know, in other um, sentient or even non-sentient beings and animals. And if they are even vaguely humanoid, then they will also know that not all creatures have cloacas. You know, the methods of human waste production, there's absolutely no reason for that to be interesting to another sentient race or to a spiritual being. Right. Well, I hope I that mean, answers the question. Yes, yes, it does mostly. Um, let's see, I would, I mean, I could imagine that uh, the human waste uh, production and, and outlet system could be somewhat interesting to uh, an alien race the same way uh, the the waste production of chickens or cows or whatever is interesting to us. So It certainly not... could be. I think the hinge would have to be on whatever would make it unique in our systems as opposed to whatever they are. You know, whether yeah, it be I mean, a matter of a gut biome processing of waste yeah. or the existence of intestines, which, you know, just are a pretty funny organ in and of themselves. The fact that we have so many feet of them bound up in our gut. Mm. Yeah, what is going on with that? Why didn't, I don't know, creator think of something more efficient? Well, that is kind of the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah, fair enough. I um, I am bothered by this lack of efficiency, but that might just be uh, the German in me speaking. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think you can make yeah. a case either way. You know, every part of the human body was developed or created to specialize for very specific purpose, and if you accept the extraterrestrial hypothesis where they are visitors from another planet, it is extremely likely that they would have developed in such a way that their uh, most efficient or most useful use of their body parts would be significantly different than ours. I am just skeptical of the idea that they wouldn't have encountered builds like us by the time they'd have the technology to be able to travel here. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then we would say, I mean, we all know how... how obsessed humans are with um, I suppose not just assholes but you know orifices that things can be stuck into um, we tend to find it highly enjoyable 
to stick things in there or to have things stuck in there. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think that's a fairly decent explanation of why aliens uh, are are so fixated on our rear rear ends. Um, so, here's another question: um, Why is it that aliens typically are seen in, um, or at least are typically depicted as flying around in, uh, well, flying saucers? What's up with that? See, now that is probably the most interesting question you could possibly ask, too. Because the very nature of the craft we see them as flying in has changed innumerable times over the centuries and over the course of history. You know, in the Middle Ages, it was not uncommon to see ghost knights charging across the sky or see mm. longships in the sky. Yeah. In the uh, 1800s here in the U.S., it was not unheard of to see phantom blimps and airships out west in the American West. It was really only as you got into the 30s and 40s that you began to see actual saucer-shaped craft. And even that only lasted for a few decades before there was a transition into cigar-shaped tubes and black ah. triangles with elaborate lights. So whether or not that then indicates that we are being visited by various races of aliens or that there is something else at play, it's, uh, it's completely unknown why we view them as drivers of these vessels or if that's even an accurate paradigm to view it in. Right. Because... Uh, if I, from from what memory I have at the moment, I think, I mean, in pop culture, aliens are, of course, often uh, depicted as flying around in flying saucers. But from most stories of people um, observing unidentified flying objects, they're not necessarily saucer-like. They're just, you know, strangely or... or irrecognizably shaped uh, and they don't behave in a manner that is consistent with uh, airplanes or, or aircraft as, as we know them. Correct. That's the one factor that is universal in sightings is that their behavior, the uh, craft that they're seen in, that is, completely defies all laws of physics as we know them. Their acceleration and deceleration is literally impossible based on what we know about momentum and energy production. Their ability to change direction shouldn't be possible at all. And, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I don't even know what word I want to use. Stupefying, perhaps? Alien? Well, yeah, I suppose <laughs> that is the very good term for it, isn't it? It's... <laughs> is so incomprehensibly foreign to the human collection of knowledge that either every fundamental assumption we've made about what's possible is wrong or that it cannot, in fact, be material at all. Right. This is very interesting to me because um, here's the thing. I'm not a physicist, but as far as I understand, um, most what what happens in the universe uh, is or or uh, behaves in a manner that is consistent with the physics as we have described them essentially, um, because that's what physics kind of tries to do. You know, uh, to explain how shit works. Um, so something that does not behave according to the laws of physics would either mean that we have a fundamentally different understanding of how physics work, which seems unlikely to me, because um, to our knowledge, basically everything follows the, the laws of physics. Or, as you say, it's not material. So, what's going on here, Paz? Are we, is our physics department infiltrated by the CIA? Or are we all just tripping balls? 
Well, so that does become a very interesting question again in its own right, doesn't it? Yes. You know, there is a significant amount of misinformation and active disinformation in academia and in science. Mm-hmm. We know all about pers- perverse incentives being the economic libertarians that we are, you know, again, presuming that economics are also real. And I think that's what a lot of it is. You know, we know that the U.S. military, and presumably militaries across the world, also have innumerable secret projects working on technologies that are far beyond what we the public are aware of. So while it is seemingly possible that they know things about physics and how to bend physics that we don't, which could then justify the idea that other beings also know these things, I personally find it more probable to believe that whatever this is, is not obeying physics, because physics themselves don't actually necessarily play a role in it. Right. So... Um, let's see, because there's a lot of things going on with, uh, with these aliens. Um, I, I think it was on, uh, Erase the State that you mentioned, uh, a lot of people who have seen, uh, or, or think they have seen or claim to have seen alien spacecraft are visited by men in black who, uh, sometimes do all kinds of things to them, sometimes don't do anything, but seemingly are there to dissuade them from uh, talking about their uh, experiences with aliens. So, um, what... Ah, man. Let me... How how am I going to phrase this? So, I think... um, to to put myself a bit in the mind of a skeptic. So you could say, you know, these people are just kind of making shit up or, or they're hallucinating. So hallucinating something once would make some amount of sense. Um, but hallucinating something entirely different, although related to this twice, seems significantly less likely, at least. Yeah, so, yeah, and that would then be the next logical thing to wonder about, right? And a person could then take that as evidence that there is a concrete mechanical phenomena at play, because what are the odds of having a spiritual or religious hallucinatory experience like that multiple times in different forms? You know, that just yeah. seems unlikely. But then the problem also becomes, if it's mechanical, how can the men in black act the ways that they do? You know, you referenced that episode I did with Matt. Yeah. You know, it's... There's so many improbabilities at play. And there are so many things that don't add up that it's almost unexplainable. You know, everyone's got their pet theories, and I certainly do. But there's seemingly no way to connect all these uh, disparate dots. Yeah. Yeah, it seems too... Uh, I mean, it, it seems like it's not uh, a diff- typical government uh, uh, thing where they're just trying to suppress whistleblowers or... Um, stop some information from leaking out because there's uh, there's there's too much shit going on there and also all of the actors in all of these parts of the story are too competent um, yeah yeah so and that's the thing if I can interject just a little bit here the men in black are far too good at what they do to be actual government officials that much is very clear And it's not just that, but as I mentioned with Matt, they have an unusual desire to make sure that the experiencers do in fact believe what they saw. 
you know, I don't remember if I made it quite clear to him, but they have a vested interest in wanting experiencers to believe what they saw. They want them to believe, and then they want them to be quiet about it, which also doesn't quite seem to add up. But there no, were a lot of not, instances yeah. where they would be enraged if a person was skeptical about what they saw. Really? You know, you'd think that if they were, in fact, government agents, they'd be thrilled to know that the experiencers don't actually believe what happened to them. Right. Yeah, this seems... Uh, I mean, we know how, how the government tries to operate with misinformation. And usually it comes down to uh, convincing people that whatever thing, conspiracy, uh, uh, entity happening, they believe is is real or has actually happened, is not so. It, they, they try to convince people it's bullshit. So it would be very strange to suddenly break this pattern of behavior um, and verify that to, to an extreme degree that people very much know uh, that what they saw is real. Uh, but yeah, so if, if you wouldn't want that to get out, I don't think you'd try to essentially convince these people that this thing was real. So, um, my next question is uh, the the people that we know that have seen these uh, well these men in black as well as these uh, unidentified flying objects. Um, what are like? Do we know things about them? Are they people that we think are schizophrenic or major drug addicts, or are they just mostly? mentally sound people so that becomes an interesting venue to explore it's something that you kind of have to take on a case-by-case basis there are plenty of examples of people being of very sound mind and being reputable members of their community who have these experiences and then describe them as sort of religious in nature. But then you do, as you said, also have plenty of instances where the people who see these things tend to have what we understand to be, you know, in the body of human knowledge, whether it's correct or incorrect, to be mental illnesses. And as such, it's very important to always take cases on an individual fact-by-fact basis. Yeah. Now, that being said, I do think it's an interesting trope in these encounters how often people who are agnostic or even outright atheist will have them and then become significantly more spiritual in practice. Yeah, that is very interesting. Um, I wonder, do we have any records of um, more ancient cultures? Um, I'm thinking maybe the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, or um, Mesopotamians, or uh, something like that, that have had records of seeing shit fly through the sky uh, where it wasn't supposed to be flying through the sky in ways that it wasn't supposed to be. Yes. In a word, yes. There are plenty of examples a person can find of this sort of phenomenon. A famed UFO researcher and legitimate genius Jacques Vallée has collected an entire book of such sightings. I believe it is called Wonders in the Sky. I will have to DM you after we finish recording and verify that. I have it in my Kindle library, my e-reader library. But uh, there are plenty of examples of anomalous sights in the sky as recorded even with verifiable recorded records in ancient cultures. So it is certainly something that happened. 
Now the problem becomes just how to evaluate such encounters. Yeah, absolutely. As we know, or as we are told that we know by the powers that be, ancient cultures tended to have a much murkier, murkier relationship with uh, detail and evidentiary fact than we allegedly yeah. do in modern culture. They leaned yeah. much more on anecdote, storytelling, and parable. Now, whether or not that is actually true, I think should be a matter for open debate. Because no matter how well-read we are in our modern age, none of us were there, and none of us know what those people were thinking or actually seeing. Right. So... But I think... Um, to, I'm sorry to interject you there, but I think we can at least say that um, knowing the way that Asian people generally carried over information um, makes it harder, I think, for us to um, differentiate between what is an actual observation of a flying object that isn't supposed to be there or a... Um, a technique or a manner to carry over some particular idea. Yes, yes. And that only gets more complicated when you then entangle ancient concepts of religion. And this oh, is yes. where you get into the nonsensical ancient astronaut theory, where the big-brained modernists are so certain that religion is false that they must have been seeing aliens from other planets and there's no other way to explain the religions of old. You know, I think right. that does them, that is to say, the ancient cultures a great disservice because while their record keeping and their annotating was significantly different than the way we operate today with the mass production of paper and printing presses, that doesn't mean that they were necessarily any less intelligent on the average than we are today. You know, we know the Greeks had mathematical and rhetorical academies. So to yes. dismiss the things they say and thought as merely, oh, they could not possibly understand the stellar phenomenon, seems foolish. Oh, I think um, they had much better understandings of stellar phenomena than we have now. Um, or maybe not even necessarily much better, but... Um, so I mean, I've I've wanted to talk you to you about ancient megalithics, and we're going to do that episode sometime in the future. But one thing that is very interesting to me is that um, we seem to go in uh, in cycles of gaining and losing knowledge. So if we go back six thousand years, say, to the ancient Egyptians, these people were extremely well informed on. Uh, or let's say we go back even further to Gobekli Tepe and to the Sphinx and such. These people were extremely well informed on what was going on um, in the heavens above us. Um, to such an extent that they were... Um, and I mean, these, these probably weren't built by your average Joe, but they were certainly better informed than about it than your average Joe is now. And they had concepts... Or, or knowledge about the way um, the star behaved and the way the Earth behaved uh, toward the stars is that baffles us today that they uh, understood that. Um, yes, and if I if I may interject here, that's actually yeah. one of the linchpins of what these ancient alien, ancient astronaut theorists love to say. You know, they are so certain that these things couldn't have been known to these people that they insist that they were taught these things by spacefarers and interstellar travelers. And yes. again, while I think that hypothesis is fairly absurd, you know, that's absolutely how they justify their way of thinking. Yes. You know, but I'm, I'm with you. They have, they demonstrated through their construction of monuments such intimate knowledge of lunar and stellar arrangements that it's impossible to dismiss any culture as mere savages or not knowing what they're talking about. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, that fascinates me to no end. Um, in that sense, maybe I might have chosen the wrong profession. I should have become an archaeologist of some sort, but this whole uh, thing whereby there's um, ancient civilizations much older than we thir first thought that were building these enormous monuments with clearly very intimate knowledge of the stars and how they behaved. Um, it, it points towards... Uh, a, a much deeper amount or, or uh, a much deeper how do I say this, knowledge than we or well uh, not only a much deeper knowledge but going back much much further than we originally thought that it uh, casts a shadow of doubt on the entire history of humanity um and I don't mean the history of humanity in the sense of like the last 2,000 years, but in the sense of like the last 100,000 or one, one last 1 million years, you know? Because Certainly. And despite yeah. the way I meme about history being completely fake, in yeah. all reality and in all truthfulness, I do believe that from Rome on and uh, just prior to Rome, we do actually have a fairly well-documented and well-understood timeline of just what happened. At least in the Western world. I'm no expert on Asian scholarship or necessarily Mid-Eastern, Middle Eastern scholarship, so I can't necessarily say about those cultures. But I, I do sincerely believe that we know roughly what's happened in the grand scale, recent and immediate history, at least here in the Western world. But the further you go back, you know, once you hit the Bronze Age, things are extremely murky. As we discussed, they just did not keep records the way that we do. You know, you'll see Babylonian and Assyrian tablets and, you know, even reasonably sophisticated law books and tablets in the way that they chose to keep their legal traditions. And it's important to know that just because they don't resemble ours doesn't mean that they weren't fully functional legal systems oh, yeah. for that culture and in that place. So to think that they then weren't drawing that knowledge from somewhere themselves and to think that the vast timescale of history is just empty before the Bronze Age seems foolish to me. You know, we've seen that it only takes 2,000 years to go from Rome through a total civilizational collapse in the West and then right back to further than Rome ever was. So to think that that time scale couldn't repeat itself literally repeatedly in over the course of a couple hundred thousand years or even 10,000 years is pretty absurd to me. Yep. You know, and modernists will try and couch all of those things in this idea that oh, well if they were building with the same materials we were or if they knew the same things we did, they would keep records like we do. Or we would see their structures. Well, that takes a lot of cultural context super for granted, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say so. So, um, to steer us slightly back to the topic, I think we have now determined that um, to see uh, an, an unidentified flying object and to think about aliens, uh, you don't have to be crazy. Um, like, I I don't know if you've seen any. I haven't. Um. So I I know of one person that told me that they saw them, and I mean I know the guy fairly well. He's not like a schizophrenic. He's not crazy. Um. Sure, he has mental health struggles like the rest of us, but you know, he's not. Uh, he said he wasn't under the influence of any uh, particularly uh, hallucinogenic drug. And he's a you know, fairly rational human being. So I, I know from both personal experience and we know from, uh, like, let's say, recent testimonies over the last 100 years or several hundred years 
Uh, these people aren't all crazy. And we know from ancient history that these people already saw these things. And they, well, I mean, we can't, of course, say that these people that saw them weren't crazy. But we can say, or we can say that these people as a whole weren't stupid. Correct, and yes. Yeah, they apparently considered this significant enough uh, to keep record of it. So, um, what is going on here? Like, are we... Are we possibly being watched and at times being experimented on in some ways by ancient, uh, or well, maybe not even ancient, but by some sort of far more advanced race than us? Or is there something more spiritual going on here? So... That gets right to the meat and potatoes of what we decided we wanted to talk about today. And I'm glad, so. yes, I'm glad that we were able to couch it in as much context as we were, because I do think that's extremely important. I think so too, yes. It is also important, in my mind, to say that we cannot definitively say, one way or another, whether they are flesh and blood creatures or they are not. And I don't think that we will probably, at least in our lifetimes, be able to make that determination if we are ever able to even make it at all. Now, with that being said, the idea that they could be flesh and blood beings monitoring or experimenting upon us or trying to force our development to some end of their own is not totally implausible. You know, we should look at the way we domesticate animals even here on Earth. Mm -hmm. Now, if some civilization or group of beings had the ability to efficiently travel between planets and stars and solar systems even, the idea that they wouldn't then have a vested interest in domesticating the things they find and observe in these places and would probably pretty naturally consider to be lesser beings than themselves does not seem even remotely unreasonable. Yeah, that makes some amount of sense to me. Um, I'm thinking about this uh, concept that I've heard about sometimes a couple of times, I think it's the Permi filter or the Fermi filter. Um, and I believe it's related to what we also call the great filter. Yes, so, I, I think what you're referring to is the uh, Fermi paradox. Ah, yes, that's the one. Yeah, so, it's, it's the yeah, idea, more or less, that uh, the, the Fermi paradox is the idea that there is so much space out there that there almost certainly must be these advanced civilizations, and that if the numerical probability of them existing is so great, it's also then a question of why we haven't encountered them. Mm -hmm. I believe that's correct. I, yes. I'm horrified. I'm scared that I may have confused that with the Drake equation, which is similar and they're often used in conjunction so you might have to fact check me on that but i may have to fact check that indeed but i believe that um it's probably not in the fermi paradox itself but i've heard some interpretation of the fermi paradox that may also be mixed with the great filter idea anyway that so um essentially either we are uh alone or we are not. Um, if we are not alone, uh, and let's say we are indeed being watched by some other civilization, that means uh, that... Uh, what was the thing again? No, I think the idea is that... So let's say we uh, are alone, haven't made contact yet with other um, 
other other entities. Other others, know. as it were. You know, other, other capital O others. Yes. Um, it's just either um, these others have purposefully hidden themselves from us in some sort of way, or um, we are not at an advanced enough stage uh, to get there. Um, and man, I, I've I, I have somewhat lost the reasoning or the idea at this point, but there's this idea of if we aren't at that point yet, then either um, humanity or society will just completely collapse and be kind of reset to zero before we can pass this great filter and make contact with others. Yes, yeah, so that, that, that's what your great filter is right there. The great filter yes. very specifically refers to that technological threshold which every civilization will either hypothetically achieve or collapse at the apex of. You know, it's considered to be this sort of civilizational breakthrough moment. And it's purely hypothesized because there's no proof that the filter even exists because we don't have our own records of having reached it. And that's also where this abandonment of so much of human history comes into play because we don't know if the great filter has actually been passed or not. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, I mean, we only have so much to go on, but it seems from, from the evidence that we have, that so far we are the only civilization that has managed to uh, get off the planet, like physically. Um, I think more ancient civilizations had a much greater focus on um, getting off the planet in a less literal sense, uh, which is another very interesting topic. Um, but I... I would think that considering the resources that are required to uh, launch a rocket into space um, and considering the knowledge that we have now of the laws of physics um, and we have no evidence that these ancient civilizations did not abide by the laws of physics. Um, it's, it's somewhat fair to assume that we are the first to go into space. Would you say that's a fair assumption? I would. We certainly have no evidentiary reason to think otherwise. There's certainly ways to speculate around that, but they are not firmly sourced in anything you'd consider a credible thinking. Yeah. I mean, so within our current um, paradigm, I guess, of, of thinking... Um, and and conviction we don't have enough to or we, we have a sufficient lack of evidence I suppose to say with a fairly high amount of certainty that we are the first to get into space um, yes yeah that would be very fair to say in my opinion yes um, so uh, man all right uh, I think uh, I just just I'm just kind of uh, trying to get on my thoughts here, but I think there's um I let's put it this way: I wonder if um, these ancient civilizations had put some different kind of meaning on these encounters with aliens. Um, Considering uh, their their greater use of psychedelics and their stronger connection to the stars, I wonder what their relation to those sightings was. Certainly, and this gets into the flip side of the coin here, right? We've spent a lot of time already today discussing the flesh and blood, the nuts and bolts, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, but this gets into the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis. A lot of people are extremely dismissive 
of this school of thought because they immediately think of Alex Jones and his interdimensional vampires and the fifth dimension demons coming to rip the soul out of your body. Yes. But at the same time, we know that from modern accounts of psychonauts and people who have explored the mental space of mind-expanding drugs, that it is entirely possible to consistently encounter creatures that don't seemingly exist in our flesh-and-blood world. You know, you take, for instance, things like the shadow people in instances of sleep paralysis. You take, for instance, the quote-unquote machine elves of DMT trips. You think about people who use acid on a consistent and regular basis talking about uh, seeing and speaking to things. Now, you couple all of that with ancient accounts of religious visions and a reliance on prophecy and seeing and actively interacting with their angels and their gods. And you begin to wonder, as I wonder and hypothesize, if there aren't, in fact, beings that exist outside of our conscience base-level forms of perception. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Because, um, and I'm going to sound real basic here, but if you look at, say, cats or dogs, um, they perceive the world, of course, in a very different way. And not only because they're tiny furry animals, uh, that we like to cuddle, but also because they're, um, they're, they're, what's the word again? The, the, their senses. Ah, fucking English. Yes, um, the, their ability to manipulate sight and sound and yes. scent is all, as we understand it as humans, what we even understand about how these senses work, far greater than ours. Yes, exactly. So, it would not be a major stretch to imagine that... um, Because, I mean, if we go uh, purely by the scientific route, uh, humans are a product of evolution. So, we evolved through very particular things, um, such as uh, running after bison and throwing long sharp sticks at them. Um, or uh, to some extent, uh, you know, putting uh, complex structures together, like the desk I'm sitting at, or the pyramid. Um, Yes, so to your point here, and I don't want to cut you off too much, but to the point that you're broadly making here, humans have, over the course of thousands of years, in fact, optimized themselves to interact with the explicitly material and solid state world. Yes, thank you. That's uh, in in very few words the point I was going to make in very very many words. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's not a stretch to think that um, the way we perceive things is very limited. Um, and uh, to give you another example of this, so. I did my thesis into flow state. And flow state is an altered state of consciousness that also has some uh, similarities to states of um, psychedelic drug use. Um, Similar things happen in the brain and similar experiences occur. So um, what you will hear fairly often, I think, from people that have uh, taken a, a hefty amount of psychedelics is um, that uh, we are all one. We are all one one group, one person, um, even though that we're different individuals. So people who are in flow state also experience this. Uh, they feel a loss of individuality and a connection with their group as if they are one 
so uh, this is not entirely bullshit. Um, there is something going on in our minds there that um, if we deviate from the path in which our minds are usually supposed to work, we have very, very strange and almost unexplainable experiences. So to think that there is something or some many things much beyond our perception is not crazy, I think. I certainly don't think so either. You know, it's to your point, it's not even, people always call them mind-expanding drugs. And that's really properly understood, not quite what psychedelics do. You know, what they do is that they temporarily alter the way that certain neurons and certain brain chemicals interact with each other. And most of them are contingent upon adjusting the variable levels at which our brain releases dopamine and serotonin to itself. Yes. Uh, just a moment. Oh, yep. What can I do for you, boss? What can we get you today? <laughs> Can't say I've got that. Have a nice day. All right. Sorry about that. I had a customer. Where was I at? Um, we were uh, talking about uh, mind-altering drugs. Or rather, the way that they change your consciousness for uh, a limited amount of time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So as I was saying, I had a very long discussion with a friend of mine who is an avid fan of psychedelics uh, right. just this last Friday night. And he was explaining to me by the means by which various trips or various substances are affected in your brain by changing, like I said, the uh, drip patterns or the release patterns of serotonin and dopamine inside your brain. And that all of these chemicals and compounds affect the distribution of one or both in different ways, creating what we see as the different visual effects and the different sensory phenomenon when you partake of these things. And as such, it's, uh, you know, from a purely materialistic viewpoint, it then becomes hard to believe that such a thing is really anything other than a chemical reaction in your brain. But yeah. because we can so consistently manifest these things, and because people who are sufficiently attracted to these things, as the ancients would have been, knew how to use them, it is not unreasonable in my mind to say that we know how to tame and use the phenomena to consistently perceive more than we actually do. Now, to your point about the flow state, that's also yeah. explicitly the purpose behind the microdosing movement, yes. where you take just enough of these things, not to actively create vis visual hallucination, but just enough to tweak those sort of uh, dopamine and serotonin releases so that you can alter your perception without damaging your ability to function. So I have seen no data on this myself, but I would be extremely interested then to know whether or not people who consistently microdose are also more prone to seeing these things that we consider to be just beyond our perception. That would be very interesting. I have also not seen any data of it, nor have I heard of anyone's experience with this. Uh, but I might just ask around a bit, because, I mean, in our community, there's a few people that are interested in psychedelics, and maybe there's some microdosers in there. Um, yeah, you know, and I want to make it very clear that I'm not casting shade 
upon anyone when I say this, but I do think it would be very important that the sample size be people who are explicitly psychonautical as opposed to recreational trippers. Yes, I think that's a very uh, important difference. Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything against recreational tripping, but it's a very different purpose uh, with very different results. Yes, Um, precisely. You know, I have nothing against people who want to use these things to enjoy fractal light patterns and to feel the bass even more deeply in their bones. You know, please go wild, do your thing. But that's an entirely different animal than attempting to superdose DMT in order to speak to machine elves. Yes, it's quite... uh, I mean, there's... How to say it? There's... um, To to cast maybe a little bit of shade, there's... um, white girl in California who just wants to see some crazy shit. And then there's Joe Rogan doing DMT in an isolation tank. Um, These are different people looking for different things. And they will find different things. Um, So, yeah, I I think you're right in that. Um, I mean, it won't approach anything even near... uh, uh, proper research but it will be interesting at least to hear from some people um, do we have any clue if these kinds of sightings were more um, common in ancient civilizations or uh, is, is it going to be very hard to get any 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 data on that as difficult as it is to efficiently collect reports even in our own day and age, I think we would have an extremely hard time ascertaining whether or not it was more frequent in past eras. And that is a little bit of an unavoidable tragedy in my mind. You know, it's hard enough to collect good, solid data on experience or phenomenon even in our own day. Because Mm -hmm. the people who go around telling everyone what they saw are the people who are most likely to be doing it purely out of seeking validation. You know, so to even collect stories in our own day and age, you need to find people who are reluctant to talk because those are the people who are most likely to have had genuine experiences. Yes, that sounds about right. Um, All right, so do you have any personal pet theory on what aliens exactly are like what what is it that we are seeing i tend towards the ultra terrestrial existing beyond sensory perception model of thinking myself i have come to this conclusion because it just seems so unlikely to me that beings that could traverse the stars would take any amount of untoward interest in us in particular, which is just another group of apes on another ball of mud, you know, from the perspective of such beings. Mm -hmm. So when you combine that with this concept of cultural tracking, where this phenomena appears differently to people of different cultures and different epochs of time, I think it's far more likely that what's being seen are things beyond our perceptions. Now, that also plays very nicely with my personal bend towards the mystical in explaining phenomena of all kind that I don't personally understand. You know, so between that uh, preference to mysticism and my own pretty deeply ingrained Christian faith, which I'm relatively open about, it seems to me most likely that the majority of these things are probably demonic in nature. (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous to say, and it sounds ridiculous to a lot of people who will be listening, but the holy texts pretty explicitly tell us, you know, the Bible that is, is that the age of miracles and the age of visitations is more or less over. You know, it's not completely over, 
but Christians are told to take it on as a matter of faith, and that when you have events like Fatima or angelic visitations, good, enjoy them, let them reinforce your faith, but do not count on them, do not depend on them. And so with that in the forefront of the mind, it should be assumed that if you are able to manifest them for yourself, whether through the use of psychedelics or other means, that it is probably not someone from the good team coming to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Um... You know, and I, I understand that that's getting into the weeds a little bit here, but really most of what I'm trying to say is that my own views are colored by a religious background that would tell me that if you can create it or manifest it for yourself, it's not what you think it is. Yeah, that makes some amount of sense. So, um, I, I think, talking to you in, in, in general, I've been fairly open about the fact that I uh, am an atheist. Although, uh, in recent months, I wouldn't say I've become less of an atheist, but I have been... I've become a bit less, how do I say it, a bit less grounded, I guess, in my um, convictions. So um, this is mostly, uh, and I, I, I almost hate to keep harping on about this, but largely because of what I've been hearing about ancient civilizations and the role that psychedelics played in them, uh, I actually bought myself some uh, truffles today, which I'm planning on taking somewhere in the next several days. Um, but I think there's... Uh, I, I do still not believe in a god or angels and demons, but I think there's significantly more out there than we know, and cer certainly than we can perceive. Um, so here is what I wonder. Um, why and I mean I, I know you explained this to me a little bit already but I'm still struggling with it so uh, bear with me here why exactly would these uh, entities that we see when we are hallucinating be they aliens be they elves or, or um, whatever they are I mean, when you say demons, that implies that they're evil. Um, but that does not seem to match with the positive development that uh, people that go or that, that take high doses of psychedelics seem to experience. Nor does it seem to match with the... Uh, changed pattern in their behavior like it's not like they become more egotistical or more evil I guess in any way so if these were demonic entities that people were seeing why are they uh, well why are they not becoming more evil sure so there's a few ways you can go with this explanation or as a way to kind of compensate for that. You know, the first of which is that from a demonological perspective, you know, the formal study of evil outsider beings, it's not as if you're guaranteed to suffer any kind of spiritual rot or possession just mm -hmm. by merely having encountered you know, that's not quite how that phenomenon works. It takes right. prolonged exposure and it takes it takes uh, succumbing to them uh, to really fall under their influence. So these sort of in brief encounters would hardly guarantee that they would gain influence over you. Now, also with that being said, to the point you were trying to make about why must they necessarily 
be considered to be evil beings. Yes. The reason that I make that assumption and the reason why many of the people who agree with me make that assumption is, as I said, we are more or less told that the eras and the ages of explicit positive visitation are more or less over. Right. You know, it's not that it cannot happen anymore. It's that based on the tenets of church tradition and on the Bible itself and what it imparts to us, we are just told that those aren't the tools that are used anymore because that's not the most effective way for humans to receive the message of the positive outsiders anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes some sense. Um... So I, I suppose I should put it like this. To anthropomorphize the divine just a little bit for you. Yes. You know, say that the angels and that the almighty God, as the Christians conceive them, more or less saw the writing on the wall in their omniscient nature and realized the way humanity was trending towards materialism and decided, okay, appearing to these people isn't going to work much longer anyway. So let's give them the tools to develop their own faiths and teach them how to, with reason, believe in us without appearing to them so that we can stay with them even when they trend away from this sort of uh, widespread ancient psychedelic usage. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes some sense to me. Um, I mean, I'm, I honestly... To be very honest, I have no idea to which extent I do or do not believe in what you are saying. But I can, uh, how do I say it? So assuming if I, I put myself in your shoes, right? And I kind of assume I have the same faith or, or the same, I, same fundamentals, ideas. As you, then I can see how this would make sense. Yes, um, you know, there's there's a lot of givens to this school of thought. A lot of, uh, yes, dude. I don't know if it's the correct word. A priori, you know, a lot of beliefs that must be in place before you can construct the logical argument. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a surprise why people are dismissive of this school because it takes, like I said, a very niche belief set in the first place to find the argument persuasive. Yes. Um, all right, so I... This was very interesting. I don't really, at least in the context of the podcast, have much to ask or tell you anymore. Although, uh, once we're off air, I do have some more questions for you. Uh, sure. Which I hope you will have time for. Of course. Um, awesome. Uh, so, uh, let's wrap up the podcast for this. Um, is there anything else you would like to add to this, uh, to this story, or to this this conversation? Well, as I told you in the beginning, the actual formal topic we wanted to discuss was going to go quickly because there's just not a lot of uh, material to it. You know, in terms yes. of actual defense against these beings, if they are in fact flesh and blood creatures, get your McNukes ready because you can tear them apart at the atomic level like you could us. You know, your guns will be just fine if aliens are actually aliens. If they are more spiritual beings, uh, you know, to quote one of my favorite movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, you better start believing in ghost stories because you're in one, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> all right. Um, please give me all of your plugs. Yeah, so you can find me as one of the regular hosts at the Gaslight Hour. We are on almost all major podcatchers, including Spotify and iTunes. Uh, you can find me on other in-group podcasts you may listen to. I pop up on a good number of them fairly regularly. And you can find me most active on social media, on uh, Twitter, at DogmanRespector. And you will also see me bouncing around various relatively active discourse.
that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you would probably know where to find me on Twitter. Uh, 